Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. Hey, welcome back. In this podcast, we open the world's dusty attic so that we can search for forgotten or overlooked knowledge treasures, and then we talk about them. There's no single theme per se, other than a ferocious commitment to expand your personal knowledge about the world in general and to make you a better storyteller. Now, I can't guarantee what the topics are going to be each week because they come to me through my own curiosity, along with chance meetings with really interesting people, and a lot of luck and serendipity. So, let's dive into this week's topic. It's always fascinated me that a new technology will emerge on the scene and everybody talks about it, but nobody has it yet. I remember when cell phones first arrived. Yeah, I'm that old. And if you saw someone carrying one in a big bag on their shoulder or driving down the street talking on a handset, you knew that that was an important person, an archdruid. And then almost overnight, it seems everybody had one. I also remember when the very first iPad hit the market. My wife, Sabina, pre-ordered one for me without telling me, and it arrived in the mail the day they hit the street. I was absolutely gobsmacked. The next day, I had to fly to Vancouver on business, and when I got to my hotel, I called her and told her that I had found the next best thing to a puppy for picking up girls. Knowing I was kidding, of course, she asked what I was talking about, and I said, my iPad... I had flight attendants practically sitting on my lap so they could fondle the thing. She just laughed at me and said, you enjoy that. You see, no one had ever seen one before, but today everybody has one, and the interval between nobody has one and everybody has one is breathtakingly short. The adoption curve is incredibly steep and always has been, but the velocity of adoption has increased over the years thanks largely to our ability to communicate effortlessly and globally. This is also where we start to see things like equilibrium theory coming in. You may recall the movie A Beautiful Mind, where the main character was John Nash, who won the economics uh, Nobel Prize a few years ago. And what he won it for was this thing called equilibrium theory that basically says a market goes into equilibrium when everyone in the market believes they've made the right decision, and they also believe everyone else made the same decision. Markets become sort of sort of out of equilibrium when people have buyer's remorse, right? So there's a huge effort right up front to to make sure that everybody believes that they've made the right thing, and they do that through really heavy-duty advertising, cohort theory, and that kind of thing. Anyway, the other day I was digging around in the historical archives of one of my telecom clients uh, while I was working on a book project for them, and I ran across a really interesting little factoid that was buried deep in one of the file folders. What it said was that the telephone is the most profitable invention in history. Now, I'm sure it is, but I had never thought about it that way. So I kept digging, and the deeper I wound my way down into this historical wormhole, the more little tidbits of knowledge I found. Now, those tidbits, of course, sent me off on side explorations to other archives and other resources. I mean, that's what I do. And before I knew it, I was neck deep in a search for, well, really nothing in particular. But I did find some really interesting things. Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone in 1876 and filed a patent for a speaking telegraph. Actually, he was one of three people who invented telephones. The other two were a fellow named Elijah Gray from the Western Union Telegraph Company and, of course, Thomas Edison. 
All three of these men filed for patents within a couple of hours of each other. And Bell won the race, even though most technology historians will tell you that Gray's design was actually better than Bell's and that Edison's microphone was far superior to the one that Bell created. In fact, Bell actually ended up incorporating Edison's design for a compressed carbon microphone into his own telephone. Now, at first, sales were pretty tough because people had really never considered the need for such a thing. I mean, what was the point of a talking telegraph? Who would ever want to talk to somebody over a wire? This is right up there with Tom Watson of IBM making the claim that the world would never need more than seven computers, or Bill Gates's claim that 640K of RAM is enough for anybody. Well, in the first month of the Bell Telephone Company's existence, they only sold six telephones. But things slowly got better, of course, and within a year and a half, 778 phones were in operation in the United States, and within about 15 years, that number had climbed to 5 million. And yet today, in the first quarter of the 21st century or so, there are still more than 2 billion people on the planet who have not yet made a telephone call. That is absolutely staggering. Now, even though things started off kind of slow, people got creative with the new invention pretty quickly. By the time the early 1880s arrived, the wealthy, many of whom, of course, had paid for telephones, took it upon themselves to pay a theater employee to stand backstage with a telephone handset so that they could transmit live plays and operas to their employers' homes. I guess that was the first form of streaming. And by the way, just for comparison, 15 years after the introduction of the mobile phone, there were 33 million of them in use. Now, the first truly mobile phone, one that you could actually carry without help, was introduced in Chicago in 1982. The earliest ones, which required an operator to actually place the call and used push-to-talk handsets, kind of like the old CB radios, these things were huge. I mean, the electronics for them occupied the bulk of the trunk of the car, and since we're talking about the first half of the 20th century, you know how big the trunks of those cars were. That was a lot of electronics. And by the way, I also learned along the way that the first commercial answering machines were installed in Switzerland. And they were so complicated, they took three days to install. Look, this kind of stuff just fascinates me. And it doesn't have to be about telecom, just because I spend a lot of my professional time there. I'm just as interested to learn random facts about healthcare, farming. For example, I love those gigantic harvesters, the ones that are guided by GPS. Or people. I mean, Stanton, Iowa, one of my favorite towns, has a population of about 700. And it's the former home of Mrs. Olson who some of you may recall as being the spokesperson for the Folgers Coffee Company back in the 1970s. Now, in her honor, the town of Stanton, Iowa, erected two water towers in the town. One of them looks like a giant coffee percolator. The other looks like a giant coffee cup. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Now, there's nothing I like more. Well, maybe a few things, but we're not going to talk about those. Anyway, there, there are very few things I like more than digging around in the historical archives of a library or a company or an old bookstore or even a newspaper morgue, watching as clouds of paper dust rise into the air along with the spicy smell of old knowledge. As I was rummaging around the corporate archives of the client that I mentioned earlier, I found a handwritten letter from a woman to the company addressed to the chairman of the firm and dated June of 1915. It said, Dear Sir, your company has installed a telephone line across my back garden, and the birds are crapping on my laundry. I would like you to move it, please. Sincerely, her name. Attached to the letter was a response from the CEO ordering the outside plant engineers to move the line. How cool is that? 
Here's another one for you that I ran across as I followed this particular rabbit warren. During President Lyndon Johnson's presidency, people trying to reach the White House would often misdial and would instead reach the home of Rose Brown, a housewife who lived in New York. Apparently, her number was almost identical to the White House number, and people would transpose a couple, leading to the misdial. Well, it happened often enough that it came to the attention of the White House communications staff. So President Johnson wrote Mrs. Brown a letter to thank her for her diplomacy in receiving his highly sensitive calls, and this is the best part, promised to return the favor when her friends and family accidentally dialed the White House. I love it. So as long as we're talking about communications technology, we might as well throw in computers as well, since the two developed pretty much hand in glove. The first electromechanical computer of a commercial quality was created by Konrad Zuse in 1936 and was called the Z1. It didn't do much beyond the four simple math functions, and as you can imagine, was tedious and pretty cumbersome to use, but for its time, it was just this side of magic. Anyway, like everything, computer technology advanced, and soon we saw the arrival of companies like Sinclair, Osborne, Microsoft, in cahoots, of course, with IBM, and, of course, Apple. It's funny the things you run across when you're not really looking for anything in particular. For example, I learned that during the 1980s, an IBM-compatible computer wasn't considered to be 100% IBM-compatible if it wasn't able to run Microsoft Flight Simulator. That, apparently, was the deciding factor. Who knew? And Bill Gates, who saw his fortunes soar, thanks to Microsoft DOS and its adoption by IBM for its personal computers, was able to build a 66,000-square-foot, $63 million lakeside home in Washington State. I wonder if it bothers him that it was designed on a Macintosh. Here's another interesting little fact that I think you'll enjoy. One of the most famous people in the computer world that you most likely have never heard of is a gentleman named Doug Engelbart who invented the mouse in 1967. It was carved out of wood, sort of a little wooden boxy thing, and it had two rubber wheels underneath that tracked the direction of the device when it was moved. It was quite a while before we saw mice with a ball underneath, and even longer before the first optical mouse with no moving parts at all arrived on the scene. Engelbart also invented hypertext. So for a guy that no one has ever heard of, he contributed major parts of the technology world that we take for granted today. Without hypertext, we wouldn't have the web. Without a mouse, we wouldn't be able to go there. Now, as I said earlier, the curve of adoption just keeps getting faster. I mean, consider this. It took the radio 38 years to reach a point where it had 50 million regular users. Television took 13 years. And the Internet? Well, the Internet reached 50 million regular users in four years. That's pretty impressive until we look at the wonderful game called Angry Birds, and note that it took about 34 days to reach the same level. Okay, I'll leave you with one last thing. In the Catholic Church, St. Gabriel serves as the patron saint of telecommunications. I wonder if he tweets. That's all I've got for this week. For the Natural Curiosity Project, I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for joining me once again. <music>